Welcome to the Bridge Builder Program, an initiative of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, where we help you live missionary discipleship in the public arena. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and joining me in studio is our producer and Minnesota Catholic Conference Communications Manager, Kit Cross. Hey, Kit. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I hope that you're having a very blessed day. You can catch the Bridge Builder Show each week right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. But if you miss an episode or want to catch up on past episodes, and we've got some good ones, visit us at mncatholic.org podcast. You can also find us on your favorite podcast app. Just search for The Bridge Builder. Each week, we try to bring you great interviews on issues impacting how you live your faith in the public arena. We also answer your questions in our mailbag segment. You can email those to us at show at mncatholic.org or contact us on social media. And it wouldn't be the bridge builder if we didn't provide you with practical ways that you can start building bridges in faith and public life. The common good, as we say, is built brick by brick. In today's episode, we're discussing the economics of justice and charity and Catholic social teaching and what that looks like in bringing that into our political life. And we've got a fantastic writer and thinker to help us unpack that. We're joined on the line today by Thomas Stork. He's a prolific writer on Catholic social teaching, Catholic culture, and a variety of theological and philosophical topics. He is the author of many books, including The Catholic Milieu, Foundations of a Catholic Political Order and Christendom in the West. His most recent book is The Economics of Justice and Charity from Angelico Press. Professor Stork has taught history and philosophy at the college level and holds degrees in English literature, history, and economics. Tom, welcome to the program. Great to have you on The Bridge Builder. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for having me on. Sometimes we just assume that people know what we're talking about when we mention terms or throw around things like Catholic social teaching. What is Catholic social teaching, and, and how did you get interested in helping people better understand it? Well, first, the question of what it is. The social order changed dramatically in Europe between the French Revolution and the end of the 19th century, and this caused all kinds of responses by Catholics, some of them appropriate, some of them not, some of them uh, well-intentioned, but not too well thought out. And starting in the late 19th century, Pope Leo XIII restated, and with, with reference to the modern conditions, the foundations of the Catholic view of the social order, not just economics, but politics, the relationship between church and state, the state's duty toward God and, and, and toward man. But usually people, when they talk about Catholic social teaching, they're talking about the church's teaching on the economic order, which was an important part of what Leo wrote in that famous encyclical of his, Rerum Novarum, 1891, and has been developed by a whole series of popes up through Pope Francis, subsequently dealing with the questions of economic morality. And uh, that's basically what it is. And the way I got interested in it actually was when I was in high school, before I was a Catholic even, I chanced upon Richard Tawney's famous book, Religion and the Rise of Capitalism. I was already interested in, in political questions then, and I saw from Tawney's book that uh, the Catholic Church had had a very robust approach in teaching about the economic order, which very much appealed to me. So I read that book then, and then later on began to discover more and more the the encyclicals and the other secondary works and secondary works that went along with it. What are some common misperceptions or misconceptions of Catholic social teaching and what it is? Well, there are, there are actually a couple different sorts of misconceptions, unfortunately. One of, one of them that's very common nowadays 
is that Catholic social teaching proposes simply very broad goals like be kind to the poor or don't be unjust, but it leaves basically leaves up to the individual in his own judgment how to figure out how to do those things. And while there's a certain amount of truth to that, because the, the Pope's speaking to the whole world over a period of over 100 years, obviously have to be somewhat uh, general in their teachings. Nevertheless, there was a specific approach to Catholic teaching and to economic morality that's advocated in the encyclicals. It's not just a matter of be nice and figure out how to do that yourself. That's altogether too vague. So that people, some people think that. Other people, when they hear the word social, because of all the negative connotations that that word unfortunately has, especially in the United States, they say, oh yeah, those popes, they were socialists. We don't need to pay any attention to them. That's not really magisterial, authoritative teaching. And that, again, is wrong, because, first of all, it's not socialism. That's something, a complicated question, but uh, it's, it's, it's something altogether different. And secondly, it is authoritative. Not everything in the encyclicals, social encyclicals, has the same weight by any means. But the it's hard to say that it's not a matter of the ordinary magisterial teaching of the church, i.e., the, uh, the teaching that the church does in her ordinary way, and is binding on Catholics. Not, as, I, as I say, not everything in there, but certain elements, definitely, yes. Say more about that. Sometimes Catholic social teaching is called Catholic social doctrine. So in what way is the social teaching or the social magisterium truly doctrinal and truly binding? Can you give us a better, well, better help us unpack that a little bit more for people that, like you said, we want to avoid this Scylla and Charybdis of, well, it's be nice and figure it out. And on the other side of it, it's a bunch of policy prescription, specific policy prescriptions or uh, socialism or something like that. What help us navigate that tension? Well, doctrine, it's really hard to make a uh, uh, important distinction between doctrine and teaching. They really mean the same thing, uh, what the Church teaches. The Church teaches on both faith and morals, we, and we, we all accept that about, say, the Ten Commandments. But the, the thing that makes us different, say, from some uh, evangelical Protestants who uh, restrict morality to simply individual relations, the Church realizes that as social beings, as beings who live in community and are meant by God to live in community, we have all kinds of moral duties that reflect the um, our, our brothers and sisters in the who are live with us, and also the institutions that we that we create. These are also these also have duties, including the state. I mean, Pope Leo, for example, is very clear: just as individuals have duty to God, so the state, the government, has duties to God. The state is not something that was just sort of some kind of a contraption that was created to to solve certain material problems, but has no duties to God. No, the state itself, as such, has duties to God. So, yeah, teaching and doctrine are pretty much the same, and Catholic social teaching is simply a part of the Church's teachings on uh, morals, morals concerning what we do in community, and especially in the economic aspects of that. We walk the halls of the legislature, and there are many Catholics uh, serving in the halls of government, but I, I think everyone would agree that in terms of their appropriation of the social teaching of the Church, it's it's wanting, we'll put it that way. Why has this great gift that Pope John Paul II called a, a great tool of evangelization, 
Why has there been a, a catechetical failure for this to be received, or why have we not been successful in rooting this great teaching and body of teaching in the in the hearts of the lay faithful? Well, if, interestingly enough, if you go back to the 1930s, you will find actual Catholic politicians and labor leaders who took their bearings from the papal encyclicals, who were aware of what they taught, and who tried... Uh, to the extent that it was practical, to shape actual public policy according to the encyclicals. But as everybody knows, there's been a tremendous uh, loss of discipline and of Catholic identity in the Church since the 1960s. And so most Catholics, whether they call themselves conservatives or liberals or whatever they might call themselves, take their bearings not from the Church's teaching, but from a particular political block that they identify with. So yeah, the 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 loss of Catholic of, of of adherence to Catholic social teaching is simply part of that loss of Catholic identity that has occurred in every area of Catholic teaching, both every area of both faith and morals, in the last forty years or so, fifty years. Some people call it a catechetical failure. In my mind, it's more of a catechetical success in the sense that if you've reduced religion to an experience or simply just an encounter. Uh, shorn of doctrinal content and substantive teaching, well then, this it shouldn't be surprised then that Catholics are going to be looking elsewhere for their bearings in political life. Is that an accurate description, or am I being unfair? Well, what I, how I would characterize it is to say that when when the Church sort of seemingly repudiated so much of her heritage, although she didn't really do that, but she seemingly repudiated so much of her heritage, there was a tremendous loss in the transmission of doctrine or teaching, whatever you want to call it, uh, among all areas. And social teaching was one of those areas. And this is not, we haven't really recovered from this. I mean, I don't think that, for example, I don't think most seminaries are doing that great a job of teaching Catholic social teaching today. So you, you find, you find uh, the clergy, like anybody else, like other Catholics, adhering to simply uh, political ideas that are kind of in the air, so to speak, that are have secular sources but don't really come from the Church. In what way has Catholic social teaching become confused, perhaps, with the the, po- uh, the set of policy preferences? Oftentimes we're so fixated on particular results that maybe the way in which we've presented Catholic social teaching in certain instances has been a problem because it seems to imply that embracing it requires a certain set of political opinions. Have, have you seen that as being a problem in terms of the reception of the body of teaching generally? Well, it does require certain uh, political or, or economic attitudes, because, as I said before, if we just reduce it to the vague, be nice, we haven't gotten anywhere. So, for example, just to pick two, the uh, Pius XI was very clear, and, all the, and John Paul has been equally clear on this, that it's not sufficient for, a free market is not a sufficient way of regulating the economy. To this, the notion that so many people have of, oh yeah, we just have to have a free market that'll take care of everything. The church has said no, and specifically no, that's not true. Similarly, with the question of wages, uh, although the church has never said you have to do it this way or that way, the church has said uh, an adult working head of a family deserves a living wage. He needs a living wage. Otherwise, how could he possibly support his family? I mean, what's he supposed to do? Work two jobs, work all night or something? Um, so um, there are specific policy, or at least policy goals, 
that are part of Catholic social teaching, and if we ignore those, we're fooling ourselves. But um, not everything, as I said, not everything in the encyclicals has rises to that status. One question vexing policymakers right now, and especially uh, uh, in a time of the virus, we'll call it, is sick, sick leave and paid family leave programs, caregiver leave programs, things of this nature. You know, there's various proposals put forward. How might Catholic social teaching help us navigate the or give us the relevant principles for evaluating uh, proposals well, for Catholic paid social teaching? Uh, and its fundamental principle says the economy is to serve uh, uh, the human race as a whole. We the only reason God gave us the capacity and need to uh, create and, and uh, external goods is because we need that for life. They're not ends in themselves. The economy exists to serve human life, family life, uh, cultural life, or spiritual life, and so on. So when, when you have an economic practice, for example, uh, the difficulty of families taking off uh, sick leave to take care of their children or, or when a new baby is born, you have to say, okay, you know, the economy serves man, not vice versa. And so if, if the economy is preventing uh, family life or hindering family life, then we have to say, what, what changes do we need to make? And there are lots of ways this can be done, but uh, you can't just say, oh, well, that's, a, that's a sorry, that's just the way it is, the market will take care of it or something like that. That's not an acceptable approach. How would you evaluate then in light of that principle, which is, of course, correct, the, the business owners or the people who are you know, paying into a payroll tax system that creates a program that allows people to take the leave so the business is not paying it all at one time? But they say, well, we can't pay this payroll tax because we can't keep running our business with one more tax. How do you respond to that claim on the part of business owners who are pushing back against paid family leave programs? Well, Pius XI talked about in, in his encyclical, Divini Random Taurus, about his encyclical about communism, but it's also just as much an encyclical uh, dissecting the, the uh, problems with the economies of, of uh, the Western world. And he said that an individual business owner is often unable to uh, deal justly with his employees because of the system as a whole. And so his solution is the system as a whole has to be changed and that people who are involved in the economy have a duty to work for um, the fundamental changes that would allow businesses to be just to their employees. If, a, if, a, if, a, if we see a, a definite need mandated by justice, for example, a living wage, and the employer says, well, I can't pay it, then we have to say, okay, something's wrong here. Uh, maybe you can't. Maybe you can't because of the unjust system that you're saddled with, as Pius XI termed it. But we need to make fundamental changes so you can begin to do this. Because, as I said, the fundamental mandate is the economy has to serve uh, mankind, not vice versa. I think your answer really hits on something that people have a real inchoate sense of, that the system, there's something deeply flawed and, and wrong with the system, but they don't even know where to begin. And so, hence the title of your book, The Economics of Justice, Justice and Charity. We often say that Catholic social teaching walks with the two feet of justice and charity, but so what's wrong with the system, and how can an economics of justice and charity fix it? What does that look like in your mind? Well, essentially it would be, the first thing that would have to occur would be a, a, a difference in our way of thinking. Because right now, um, most people think of the economy as simply a means of 
getting ahead. I mean, even education, for example, we talk, we talk about, well, why is, high, why is higher education good? Well, you can make more money with it. You can get ahead. You can get a better job. And while there's nothing, you know, to be born in that, that's not, that's not the reason why the church, for example, started universities in the Middle Ages so people could get better jobs. It was to promote the, uh, and elaborate the teachings of the church and her philosophical and theological heritage. So the, we need to think in terms of reorienting the whole economy toward well, justice and charity. Now, how do you do this specifically? Well, it's, it's kind of hard to go into this in detail right now, but there have been numerous commentators who have talked about the encyclicals, and especially back in the 30s, right after Quadra Desmohano came out, came out in 1931, there was a huge literature trying to apply this to the actual existing economy. And so uh, there were many specific proposals that people, sometimes people say, okay, oh, the social teaching is too vague. It doesn't really have any specifics. Well, I can point you to a large literature full of specifics. The problem is people are ignoring those that literature. They're not paying any attention to it. They don't know about it, perhaps, or they they uh, regard it as just something old-fashioned. But there is a huge literature about there how to how to orient the uh, economy toward justice. And sometimes some of the proposals that are made nowadays, for example, a tax on stock transfers that would um, raise a lot of money and would have very little negative impact on the economy, if any, uh, would raise a lot of money for the kind of things you're talking about. That's just an example. I'm not saying it's mandated by Catholic teaching, but I'm saying it's in the creative way of applying it. Because you're going to have to, when you get these principles, you're going to have to start saying, okay, what are some ways we can do this? And there's going to be a certain amount of trial and error. There's going to be a certain amount of experimentation probably. But the important thing is to have the goal in mind and to understand where we're, what we're aiming at. Because if we're not aiming at the right thing, if we don't understand, then we're going to just be um, you know, beating our hands in the air, so to speak. Yeah, it's like Catholic social teaching is a mental model that we can use to, uh, and it's like a toolbox of principles that we can use to apply to di- difficult social questions. And one, like you said, can think back to the 30s and the rich body of literature there, Rural Roads to Security, a manifesto, uh, on rural life from the Catholic National Catholic Rural Life Conference, applying Quadragesimo Ano to agricultural and rural questions. And, and really what it boils down to, what you're saying, is that people actually need to pay attention to the literature and then try to live it and apply it. Yeah, because you know, the first thing I would, I would tell people, read the encyclicals, but read the encyclicals with some kind of a, of a guide, because if you just read the encyclicals, some people will read the encyclicals and it'll be fine. Others will be confused even by the very terminology in the encyclicals, which sometimes differs from the terminology that they're familiar with from current political discourse. That was, in fact, uh, one of the purposes of my book, was to provide a guide for people who wanted to read the encyclicals to help them understand it better, because there's a lot of questions in there that are going to be, going to be puzzling about. For example, Pius XI, one of the things he was advocated very strongly, both in Quadratismo and Divini Redem Taurus, were... Uh, what they call occupational groups, or actually modern adaptations of the medieval guild idea. But if, if you just read what he says in there, it'll be, you'll scratch your head. Some, most people will scratch their heads and say, what in the world is he talking about? What, what are these things? And yet they were a, a, a very, very creative solution to the question of how to, how to regulate the economy without necessarily the central government doing the regulation. 
We're speaking with Thomas Stork. He's the author of An Economics of Justice and Charity, helping us unpack Catholic social teaching, which is something we can't do enough of. In the default mental and political architecture of liberal societies, and I mean that small l and the term generically, is to have a certain agnosticism about what constitutes the good of persons, what constitutes the good of society, yet Catholic social teaching is really about what is good, what is good for the person, what's good for the family, what is good for society. So how do we rebuild the system with the tools of Catholic social teaching when the default mental architecture of those around us is a type of agnosticism on normative questions? Well, the first thing we do is we need to, there needs to be a tremendous amount of teaching done, and, and it's really hard to see how that could be done. I mean, even if, even if all priests were keenly aware of this, certainly in, in the you know, weekly homily, that's not going to be enough time because there's so many other things to deal with, too. But it, but it is conceivably possible to start with study groups and so on that, in parishes that begin to apply these things. But there's a huge amount of work to be done because, for, especially for people, Americans, people in the United States, we tend to think that the social or that the Morality is a question of individual morality, and the and the state and the social order are essentially agnostic. In a sense, that's what the First Amendment means, uh, that the Congress will make no law respecting the establishment of religion. Um, is uh, Well, Congress is basically stay out of religious affairs. That's an individual matter. Religion becomes privatized. But that's not how Christendom, when Christendom existed, when there was a Catholic social order, uh, the the question of faith, Justice, morality were intimately uh, involved with the um, with the social order, and it would have been people then would have thought it was insane to separate the two, and yet we've done precisely that, and and um, starting in the basically coming to full full flower in the 18th century when we um, especially by the the uh, English philosopher John Locke, who set out a a very um, sophisticated justification for this agnosticism, as you rightly term it. What we got time for one more question. What is the most underappreciated aspect of Catholic social teaching? Or maybe you could answer, you know, from your perspective, what and what questions of public policy are uh, the principles of Catholic social teaching most needed? Most needed, you say? Correct. Well, I think the fundamental idea that the economy, that that it's not wrong to just as we have to we all recognize all any any catholic with a pretension to be orthodox recognizes that our sexual appetites have to be restrained they have to be restrained for the sake of the common good similarly our economic appetites have to be restrained for the sake of the common good and uh so you have you have two blocks now one of whom wants to have few or no rules on restraining our sexual appetites, and the other wants to have no or few rules on restraining our economic appetites. And they claim, oh, somehow it will work out in the end. The, the market will make it work out. That's just, that's just false. That's not true at all. So the, the idea that we're restraining, you know, we have to restrain fallen human nature, both in the sexual and in the economic sphere. And that's really the, one of the first steps toward um, implementing a just society. Yeah, the, the invisible hand theory, it's like the, the Holy Spirit of market dogmatists that somehow, yes. the, somehow the invisible hand will guide us to just outcomes, is like, like, much like the Holy Spirit would in, in, in life. So 
Thomas Stork, thanks for joining us today. Your book is The Economics of Justice and Charity from Angelico Press. Thanks for helping us uh, think more critically about Catholic social teaching. Appreciate your work. God bless you. Thank you, Jason. Thank you very much. We'll be back in a moment with our mailbag segment. Welcome back to The Bridge Builder, where we help you connect your Catholic faith and public life. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference. It's now time to delve into our mailbag to hear what comments and questions you've been sending our way. Kit, what have you got for the mailbag today? Yeah, so one issue that has received a lot of discussion during the legislature this session is school safety, and tied in with that has also been funding for counselors within schools. So, Jason, could you tell our listeners more about what the proposals have been and why the issues matter, especially for Catholic and non-public schools? Well, we're blessed to live in a state that has decided that regard, irrespective of which type of school you attend, homeschool, uh, private school, public school, that the state is going to provide certain types of funding for students, and that's student aids. We call it per-pupil aid, and that can be things like textbooks, transportation, nursing, counseling. And now there are proposals to expand the funding that goes to all students on a per-pupil basis for school safety. And so uh, a bill legislation has been introduced, moving more quickly on the Senate side around school safety issues that it does include counseling because counseling is part of that school safety matrix, but would give schools uh, on a pure per-pupil basis more funding to ensure safety in their schools, whether that's kids struggling with uh, emotional health and potentially harming themselves or harming others to building security. So Senator Carla Nelson in the Senate has proposed a bill uh, that would include non-public schools as well in that uh, to provide more school safety money. And again, that's a policy choice that we as a state make on behalf of all students, irrespective of where they go to school. There's also an important bill, a school counseling bill that's being uh, promoted by Senator Icorn on the Senate side that would expand money for counseling services for students in non-public schools on a per-pupil basis as well. There's already funding at the 712 level, but we're seeing that mental health challenges are manifesting themselves earlier. And so it's important that those funds go down into the primary school level. And that's what that piece of legislation would do as well. You can find those bills on our bill tracker at mncatholic.org, but important per-pupil funding supports uh, being proposed in our state legislature. Great. Thanks, Jason. And we want to leave our listeners with some practical tips as to how they can start laying the bricks to build that bridge between faith and politics. What do you have in our bricklayer segment? Well, every year we try to provide real practical opportunities for Catholics to uh, not just to speak to legislators through our Catholic Advocacy Network, but to come to the Capitol, um, to be informed on the issues, to interact with legislators and intercede for them through prayer. We've got a couple great days coming up. Mark your calendars for Wednesday, May 6th or Thursday, May 7th. On Wednesday, May 6th, we're offering the Advocacy Hour. This combines advocacy and adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. The soul of the apostolate begins with prayer. We have a private room set aside from 9 a.m. till 4 p.m. inside the Capitol for Eucharistic adoration. We'll also help direct you to find your legislators, and you can do some last-minute lobbying as the session winds down on key issues that are on the front burner at the Capitol. Details and registration, mncatholic.org slash advocacy hour. 
The following day on May 7th is National Day of Prayer. We have two really great opportunities that afternoon. First, from 1.30 to 4, we're hosting a Capital 101 training, and that's just a great way to get yourself immersed in the uh, tools and traits of effective citizen advocates. Again, we've got to equip you to be a bridge builder in faith and public life. Uh, there's a number of key issues that will be coming down to the wire, like school choice, um, who, who knows what else uh, is impacting life and day-to-day, bonding for affordable housing, clean water initiatives, a number of urgent issues that will require our attention that day. And following Capital 101, those great trainings, uh, we will host a prayer service in the Capitol Rotunda for National Day of Prayer. And that's a really important opportunity to pray for our legislators and to pray for our state amidst all the challenges. We'll be doing a scriptural rosary that day to pray for our state, our legislators, and their intentions. Details and registration, mncatholic.org slash capital 101. But just go to mncatholic.org. You can click on the window panes and you'll find more information there. Even if you cannot make it for Capital 101, try to make it to the National Day of Prayer service at 4.30, which is after school and for some people after work. Again, more information and to register, mncatholic.org, and all those events are free. That's all the time we have for today on The Bridge Builder, but you or your organization can become a sponsor of our program. Becoming a sponsor of The Bridge Builder Show is a great opportunity for business and organizations to advertise. Let listeners know that you support bringing the Catholic faith into the public arena. For more information, send us an email at show at mncatholic.org. Again, show at mncatholic.org for sponsorship opportunities. Again, send your questions to our mailbag segment at that same email, show at mncatholic.org, or connect with us on social media. And remember, you can catch up on any past episodes online at mncatholic.org or search for Bridge Builder Podcast on your favorite app. Thanks for tuning in to The Bridge Builder. We'll be back again next week with another great guest, more of your comments and questions, and a new way for you to build bridges in between faith and public life. I'm Jason Adkins, and for Kit Cross, the Minnesota Catholic Conference, thanks for listening and have a blessed day.